sometimes I, I put the goal up on a top shelf so I can see it, but I focus on how do I make progress. Every day I'm thinking about making progress. And, and again, when you have little points, little lines that you keep moving more and more and more, and you're making that progress, and you, that's when you add those things up and you'd say, yeah, I'm doing it. Welcome everyone to the Ask a CEO Show. Ask a CEO interviews bring us inside the corner office and C-suite for discussions with top executives about their journey to leadership and the reality of running their companies today. Our host, Greg Demetrio, is the CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning integrated marketing company. He is also the founder of gregscorneroffice.com, the home of the Ask a CEO interviews. Greg has been in the business for over 30 years. He is a resource to the media, an invited columnist and speaker on marketing and business topics. Over the years, Greg has talked to hundreds of CEOs and executives about what it took to make it to the corner office and what it is really like being the leader of their companies. And now he brings those conversations to you. Here's Greg now. Welcome, everybody, to Ask a CEO Show. I'm Greg Demetrio, your host. My day job is the CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning integrated marketing company located in New York. Ask a CEO is a production of gregscorneroffice.com and LG Studios. And we bring you conversations with CEOs about their journey to the corner office, what it took to get there, and what it's like running their companies. My guest today is Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint Incorporated, a global leader in the beverage space with her award-winning unsweetened flavored water. She conceived and formulated Hint Water, created the marketing strategy and the distribution for what is now a $150 million plus company. Kara's received numerous accolades and recognitions, including the prestigious Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2017 for Northern California, as well as one of the InStyle's Badass 50. In October of last year, her first book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, was published and quickly became a Wall Street Journal and Amazon bestseller. Welcome to the show, Kara. Hello. It's quite an interesting journey you had. Uh, I've been reading your book. Uh, the anecdotes in there are just pearls in terms of tenacity and your ability not to take no for an answer. So welcome to the show. I can't wait to tell your story. Let's do it. Perfect. So maybe you could give us a little bit of the background of your life before you got to uh, start Hint Water. Uh, you know, I know you worked in uh, several different companies along the way. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, well, thank you for having me. Very excited to share my story. I, I was not in the beverage industry prior to founding my company 16 years ago. I was actually in tech. I was at a company that some of you may be familiar with called America Online. And I ran their e-commerce and shopping uh, from basically the beginning um, until seven years later, it was a billion dollars in revenue. And when it hit a billion dollars in revenue, it was at that point when I think the company was starting to um, you know, level off. Thankfully, it wasn't in a free fall, it was, uh, but I had been through a hockey stick for those of you who have ever um, imagined that or uh, who have been through it. So once things started to slow down, I started to think about what do I want to do? And I had a young family and that I hadn't frankly spent a whole lot of time with. I had three kids under the age of four when I left AOL. Um, but also, uh, by the time I started Hint, I was I had four kids under the age of six. And I was, you know, really trying to make up for those lost years and, and uh, you know, think about not only being a parent, but also what, what my next move was. And I think more than anything, I, I started thinking about, I want to do something that has purpose and that has mission that I'm really proud about and not just take a job. And I live in just outside of San Francisco, and there's plenty of tech companies, and I was sort of quietly kind of talking to many of those, but I just didn't feel this passion and and kind of need um, to go and jump into anything. But I mention all of this because I never really thought about starting my own thing. I never thought I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. So, Kara, what I was going to ask you was, um, how did your positions at those major corporations form a foundation? that allowed you to become the entrepreneur that you are today? 
Well, so that's what really, you know, I think back on, as Steve Jobs used to say, the dots eventually connect, right? For, for me, having worked either directly or indirectly for some incredible entrepreneurs, including Ted Turner at CNN and didn't work for Steve Jobs, but I worked for people who worked for Steve Jobs and my little startup that was uh, later acquired by America Online, and then, of course, Steve Case. And so what I learned was each of these people at one point, and while I was there uh, at those companies, was viewed as this visionary entrepreneur, which essentially means that most people think you're a little crazy and you're, you know, your idea is a little out there and they're not really sure that they want to engage too much or certainly not invest in this idea. But over time and as you gain traction in those ideas and, and have a team that really successfully gets helps you get that tr- traction, that's when people start to turn, right? And so I was there for each of those companies watching that. Uh, but again, didn't sort of the, connect the dots until I had this issue that I was trying to solve in my own personal life, This, which eventually le- led to Hint, which was I was trying to lose weight that I had gained over the course of many years. Um, I was never heavy when I was you know, growing up and happened to gain a lot of weight when I was pregnant and couldn't lose that weight. But I had also developed terrible adult acne that no one could actually define. And that's when I started looking at, well, what am I putting into my body that is causing some of these health issues? And that's when I tried every diet plan. I started counting calories, something I had never done before in my life. But what I realized during this process was how hard it was for the consumer to actually change something. Here I was a smart executive who was very marketable and and tech, yet I had this issue that was really difficult to solve. And and that's when I thought, you know, if I could actually, you know, solve this problem for myself, that would be amazing. And then I'll start to look for this job. And the one thing that I noticed one day as I was looking at ingredients in, in my food and, and happened to look at the ingredients in the one drink that I drank all the time, uh, I was looking at my Diet Coke. And you know it was interesting because I never thought in a million years that my diet soda... So Coke was at zero, right? Right. And at the time, well, 16 years ago, it had like 10 calories. It wasn't quite down to to zero calories, but only 10 calories. I mean, how could that possibly be an issue? But what I realized was that just by cutting it out and swapping to plain water, I lost over 20 pounds in two and a half weeks. My skin cleared up. And I thought... That's wow. really curious, right? And I was always a curious person too, but it was at that moment when it really affected me, right? My own personal life. I'm like, wait a minute, what just happened here? And th- there was one problem with it. Of, of course, I wasn't going to go back to drinking diet soda, but plain water for me was boring. And I always thought about I mean, I knew I was supposed to drink eight glasses or more a day. I had been told that for years, but I didn't do it because I felt like there was water in my diet soda. So somewhere I'm I'm getting it, right? But I didn't really connect the dots as to as to what it was really doing until I started drinking plain water. And so in order to solve that problem I saw in front of me around water, I decided to slice up fruit that was on my counter or in my refrigerator and throw it in the water. I didn't think of it as, you know, the next big company or uh, or product or any of that, or this is my ticket to becoming an entrepreneur. For me, I thought this solves a problem for myself. And it was at that point when people would say to me, I mean, this was going on for about six months. I'd you know, always have some kind of fruit in my water. And people would say, oh, what do you have today? You have raspberries in your water? Oh, interesting. I never really thought about raspberries and lime together or pomegranate or all these different things. And and that was the moment when I thought, I want to find this product in the store that I can buy because it's a hassle to cut up fruit. So what came to me when you were telling the story about cutting fruit on your kitchen table 
uh, I remember going to the Caribbean and when you entered the nicer resorts, there was always a container of uh, fruit infused water, either pineapple or cucumber or berries of some sort. And when I was reading about Hint Water, that just came back to my mind. Well, and you know, it's interesting because 16 years ago, I probably had gone to a few spas and, you know, probably the thing that I saw most was either lemon in water or cucumber in water. But again, I thought, what's wrong with putting a grapefruit in water? What's wrong with putting some other things in water? And the other thing that I noticed when I was slicing up fruit at home is that it became very expensive and kind of a hassle, right? Because it didn't last for very long. And this is the problem that, you know, frankly, a lot of food service and hotels have shared too, is that, you know, you when you slice something up and you put it in and it's got air coming into it, whether it's the spigot or the, you know, the top, they're not cleaning those out so great, right? And you've got, you know, air air particles that are coming in and it can grow mold. And so I started thinking about if I could just have a product that is sealed in some way, that is using real stuff, real fruit. And I thought, I'm shopping at the wrong stores. This has to be out there. I really was, I, I was looking at this for myself to purchase as a consumer. I didn't think of it as, as a business. But when I went to my local Whole Foods that had just opened in San Francisco, I thought, this has to be here somewhere. And what I did find was carbonated versions of the product, but not still versions. And many of those carbonated versions had a lot of sodium in it at the time. And I felt like I didn't want to switch my, you know, addiction to sweet diet sweeteners with sodium. I want just fruit and water. And I kept asking, why can't I find this? I looked on the East Coast as well. Um, in uh, in New York and looked all over in the bodegas. I thought someone's got to have this and no one had it. And that's when I thought, while I'm looking for a job in tech, I'm going to get this product on, on the market because I think it'll be fun, right? I mean, how hard could it be? But people always say, how'd you have the courage to, to go and take on the beverage industry? And, and I said, you know, and these are some of the quotes that I put in the book. I mean, sometimes if you think too much about, you know, the the, the goal, right, and and the 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 scary story, you won't ever get started. You just have to go get started and make those steps. So, as an entrepreneur, what's your risk tolerance? I mean, I know if you conceive of something and you say, okay, what's the worst case scenario, right? And you can accept what the worst case scenario is, you probably should go ahead, right? Absolutely. I can't believe that you were actually going out to sell the water product on your way to a C-section for the birth of your child. <laughs> I know. You're an amazing, tenacious woman. Well, I, you know, truly, I, I lived in San Francisco at the time. And we, you know, as you know, living in a city, you have limited space, limited garage space, I should say. I felt fortunate that I even had a garage, but I had uh, one of my cars um, couldn't fit in the garage because I had a couple pallets of water sitting in my garage. And so I viewed it as solve the problem, right? How do I, I need to go and get distribution for this product and get it out of my garage so I could park my car back in there uh, prior to having my child. So oh my I know it was, it was crazy. Yeah, that's quite a story. I don't know if anybody else that I would even consider would do the same thing. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun, but you know, I, I think one thing that's really important that I look back on that might be really helpful for your audience is that people have always asked me, you know, how did you think about going from tech and a successful, you know, role? I was the youngest vice president at AOL. I was one of the few females at that level. And, and, and I loved tech, frankly. I still love tech a lot. I still live in Silicon Valley where, you know, I'm surrounded, have lots of friends in Silicon Valley who are in tech. But I really felt like when I landed in, in the, the world of beverage, there was so much I didn't know. And I can't say that it wasn't frustrating, but my curiosity and my 
ability to go and ask questions. And frankly, a lot of that I learned in tech was just every single day, I felt like my eyes were wide open. I went from you know, being in a role at AOL where I had 200 people reporting to me, always asking, you know, how do I do this? Can you help me with this? Which was fine. You know, mentorship and management, it was great. But I wanted to be a student again. And so I share that with so many C-suite executives. And frankly, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book too was that to be educated in something, to to have that, you know, yearning and desire. People fear going back down to the bottom again and figuring out something that they're curious about, but they don't really understand. And and that's why I'd really, that's frankly what I saw is really fun. So you're trying to build this organization uh, and being very successful at it. At what point did you realize that you wanted to tell your story in book form? Well, so I've been asked for years, I think partly because of how strange it was to go from a successful career in tech to, you know, back down to the bottom again. And so I've been asked my story for years, like, why did you do it? How did you do it? And how did you get a product on the shelf at Whole Foods? How did you, women aren't supposed to be able to go out and raise money. How did you go raise money? How did you, you know, think about lots of different things along the way? And so as I was in I was hired to speak at many conferences inside of corporations, um, talk about you know disruption and innovation. And after a while, I thought there are so many questions that I get out of the audiences that would be really beneficial to people who maybe don't go to the same conferences that I'm asked to speak at or aren't inside of the companies that I'm asked to speak at. And so I started writing down notes, uh, sometimes even additions of how I wish I would have responded to a question based on my own experience, some story that I felt like could be really relevant. And so I started journaling. And this was a little over five years ago. And after, uh, after I guess, three years, I, I looked down at my journal and I counted the pages one day and there was over 600 pages. And I, I said to a friend of mine who's written a few books, uh, I said, so how do I bind my notes? Because I want to bind them for entrepreneurs and people. And she said, you mean write a book? And I said, no, I'm the CEO of a company. I don't have time to write a book. What I want to do is just bind my notes. And she said, it's a book or two two books possibly. And so people always ask me, what was the hardest part about writing a book? I already had it in the journal. Again, I, I just kept going. I, I didn't have an outline. I didn't have, you know, I, I ended up hiring an editor to help me take it down. And part of, you know, the, the core thing that I saw probably the hardest part about writing the book is I get in fights with my editor, you know, every week because I'm like, don't cut that story. It's too good. Oh yeah. Don't touch my words. <laughs> Don't touch my words. So that was the hardest part. But again, I probably have a second book in there. And certainly after, you know, managing during the pandemic, I, I might even have, you know, the end of the second book or a third book in, in place. So I'll be looking forward to the second book when that comes out for sure. The first is so engaging. I can't imagine what's left on the table for you to report, but I'll be waiting for it. Well, I think that it, along the way, I looked for guidance from people who had experience because I thought that the people who really know how to do beverages are the ones that will help me in order to do what I do. Number one, people didn't want to help somebody who didn't have experience, right? And who had who had never been an entrepreneur and who had never been in their industry. That that was wasting their time in their in their view. Plus, I'm launching an entirely new category. Uh, called unsweetened flavored water, which many who had worked in the soda industry didn't think that it was relevant because they weren't talking about unsweetened flavored water inside of Coca-Cola or Pepsi. And then finally, I was asking for the impossible. I wanted a product that didn't have preservatives in the product. And I kept asking everybody, why can't I produce a product that just has fruit and water and no preservatives? And no one had the answers. And so when they would say, it's impossible. No, you can't do that. So Theo 
told you it couldn't be done. Yeah. Studied it, thought about it, said, Kara, this can't be done. What did you do? Well, I said, what can we do? And and that was something I still say to this day. And and I think it's it's a, you know, there's so many examples of this, but I think more than anything, there's always something you can do, right? I mean, even speaking about the pandemic, the number of entrepreneurs that I've talked to, you know, who over the last year or year and a half have have really frozen, haven't been able to do anything because they're like, I couldn't do anything. And, you know, my response is the same thing. Did you ask yourself what you could do? Because you can always do something, right? You can always yeah. think about it. And I think it's it's a powerful yeah. phrase that when you when somebody says no to you or somebody says something's impossible, my answer is always, it's probably not impossible. Is it does it make sense to do it? Can what can you do? So my brother Bob May, rest in peace, was a corporate vice president at Payne Weber. And uh, had about 600 people reporting to him. And his advice to me was to assess what the worst case scenario is. If you can live with that, then the risk, you should take it. So, um, I mean, I lived by that all along and I am a bit of a risk taker. So we've had 30, day, 30 years in this company. And quite frankly, um, you know, I started out with no knowledge of business. What did I know about business? You know, I, I you had much, a much better start than I did. I didn't know what a P&L or a balance sheet was. Um, but as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, what do you do? Failure is not an option. You've got to move forward until somebody shoots you and says, that's it. We're done. You can't possibly do this. We're out, we're out there. You know, you got to put up your foot. You put your foot forward and keep moving. You know, it's an easy read. Your book is an easy read, and that's why I love it. Uh, the anecdotes in there are real. And again, don't forget, I'm going to ask you about that Chinese eyeball. <laughs> I can't believe it. I was laughing so hard. I love it. Okay. It's time for us to uh, take a short break and uh, pay some bills, let the sponsors have their say. So we'll be back in a few minutes. Creating a comprehensive, effective marketing plan can be complex and difficult, but it doesn't have to be. At Lorraine Gregory Communications, we make it easy. Experience matters. Hi folks, Tom here from Fame. Well, not actually Tom, but a well-paid voice actor to tell you about our podcast business. We have created a one-stop holistic process to grow your podcast and help you generate revenue. If your podcast is new or been around for a while and not producing the results you hope for, Fame can help. We take care of everything from strategy, design, researching and recruiting guests to booking dates, production assistance, post-production editing and ultimately marketing that brings your podcast to life across multiple streaming platforms. Contact me, Tom Hunt at fame.so to find out how we can take your podcast to the world. And we're back with Kara Golden, the CEO and founder of Hint Water. Let's talk about the company, okay? So I've heard, and I believe, I believe this, that culture eats strategy for lunch. Say that one more time. What that means is that you can create the biggest culture in the world, but the strategy is gonna go down a tube if the culture isn't right. Well, I think that the key thing is, is hiring people who are supportive of your idea right and i as and those are the people that are ultimately going to make up your culture right so i talked before the break about you know experience it ends up that the the experience people first of all didn't have all the answers cuz i was doing something entirely new on a lot of different levels but also it's like you're fighting against people who think that they want to do something one way, right? That they think that that is the only way to do it. And, and I think that those, when you hire people that, that really understand your purpose and your mission to help people enjoy water, then the culture spurs from that, right? So people always say, especially in Silicon Valley, I mean, when, you know, hiring people has been really, really challenging, very, very competitive. I mean, people are like, how do you 
higher and, you know, have very little churn? And is it because you're a female CEO? I mean, maybe that's why people come in. But I think if they don't like the product, we don't have people running around the company drinking Red Bull, right? How big is the company in terms of employees? Uh, 200, just over 200. Yeah. And a lot of virtual. I mean, we're, you know, we're a traditional beverage company in some senses because we have, you know, street salespeople in every state all over the all over the US, only in the US, by the way, right now. Uh, but we also have a component which is really comes from my previous experience. Over, almost 50% of our overall revenue comes from direct to consumer. And so that, you know, I talk about and and share in the book as well. And you know, that business only grew during the pandemic as... Well, was that your plan? Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting. I mean, it came at a time in 2012 when we were going into Amazon and, and had a very successful launch with Amazon. Uh, they were just launching their grocery business. And uh, the, the thing that I knew and primarily knew because I... Amazon was a client of mine. Jeff Bezos was a client of mine back in the early days of AOL was that the data that they were getting off of the customer who was buying Hint was really, really interesting. I mean, they were sharing with me that the the person who was buying a case of Hint on Amazon was also buying things like diabetes monitors and healthier that it, it it created this healthy halo of you know signaling a healthy halo of who this consumer was and they said it's very interesting because that does not typically happen when people are buying soda they're not buying these things and so i was fascinated by this and again i launched this product not because i dreamt of becoming a beverage entrepreneur but because i wanted to help people get healthy. And so I wanted that data from my Amazon buyer. And my Amazon buyer said, Jeff Bezos is never going to give you this data or the emails. You had, you got to have your own site. And I, th- I thought, maybe I do need to have my own site. And so that's when I, I went home and said to my husband, Theo, I said, I'm going to build a, a website this weekend. And he said, what, what are you talking about? And I said, we need to have our own data. And everybody wants to meet Theo now after the book. He's become a... Well, I'm one of those who want to meet Theo too, like an <laughs> impressive human being. It's been a lot of fun. And the combination too of, of, you know, a lot of people also ask like working together. I mean, look, we both had successful careers. He was an intellectual property Silicon Valley attorney, um, very marketable. Uh, but again, we both saw this purpose of how cool it would be if we could actually get people to get healthy and enjoy health just by changing just that one little thing in their life. I mean, you think about how big not only the diet drink market is, but also you know these enhanced waters like the vitamin waters and yeah. Propel and some of the others that are out there. I mean- People really do think there's a promise, a, a very subtle promise that goes on in much of the advertising, et cetera, that that's going to be healthier and better for you. So I never would have thought about it from a health perspective. I'm a consumer and a fan. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, the water is perfect for me. It's really the best that I like, quite frankly. Thank you. That's the other thing that's interesting. Just I'll, I'll share with you as a, as a fan, uh, you know, we've met many people in the beverage industry over the years. And, and what's really unique about Hint is that the consumer that likes Hint likes choice. And so while they may have, while they may love cherry or raspberry, if that flavor isn't available, they'll, they'll be like, oh, I'll have the blackberry versus if you talk to execs from vitamin water, if if you have somebody who likes Formula 50, for example, they they will only drink Formula 50. If you find somebody who drinks Diet Coke, they won't drink Diet Pepsi, right? Like it's just a, they want that one thing. And so this consumer is really about health. They're about choice. Um, we have, you know, just as many women drink our product as men. Um, so it's not a product that is, um, you know, that is sort of, yeah. it, it is a product that's unique, but it's a, it's a product that really helps people get healthy so in their own way. 
So what you're saying is that the consumers, once they know your product, are driving the growth, right? So they've, they're on your side. New products are being developed and, and they're in, right? Yeah. And what's great about our direct-to-consumer, so we launched it uh, that, that weekend, I guess probably Monday or Tuesday after that weekend, I built a very embarrassing bare bones website that I it was up for three years and I kept saying, can we change that website? This was just a, I mean, this was just a crazy idea, but it worked and we just didn't have time to change it. We've changed it since then. But basically what we learned is that we could actually do, do um, the R&D and, and we call them smash ups. So, you know, we might have some extra fruit left over from our blackberry run and raspberry. So we'll throw blackberry and raspberry together we can launch it tomorrow and we can even we can even pre-sell it and then create the product and do small batches and what's what's really the the funniest thing before and the way that most beverages are sold is that you you know go to your buyer at your local store and you say okay this is my new flavor give it a try and and you know i call the the buyers the gatekeepers so that the gatekeepers say yes or no as to whether or not you get it on the shelf based on their own taste and their own profile maybe mm-hmm. what they see in terms of trends but typically they would say no well why don't you let's see what that other store does let's see if target likes it and whatever mm-hmm. and so now we launch things online and i have buyers calling and yelling at me because they're like, how could you launch that product online and not actually show and it to, to it us first? And I said, you can have it. You can have the product. And so it's almost like this pull strategy that we've created. <laughs> Again, didn't intend to do that, but it's awesome. So, Kara, what's next for Hint? What is next? You know, we are building a standalone company that, again, never really thought we would get to this point. I always share with uh, entrepreneurs. I mean, the the thing that I think most people don't know when they set out on, especially on their first entrepreneurial journey, is that it's not a race, right? You're going to have days that are hard. Uh, most days are hard. You're going to have days where, you know, you'll have a great win and then you, you know, have two setbacks and, and the title of my book, I think says it all that undaunted overcoming doubts and doubters, you're going to have doubts and fears and challenges, but you have to figure out how to keep going. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that you'll read about in the book is having a connection with the consumer that you actually are helping when you are launching a product that helps people. There is a very, very powerful uh, pull from from the the feedback that you get from those people because you'll have the executives from, you know, the big soda companies telling you that your you know your idea is stupid, foolish. Uh, you'll never be successful. Never will happen. But then you'll hear 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 consumers, for example, who you know have type two diabetes or cancer or you know weight issues that are using your product in their everyday to change something that is really important to them is essential for them and they're relying on you to actually be a part of their life and they're they're showing you that by purchasing your product that's a powerful thing so then that that offers you the ability to say it doesn't that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, this I just need to focus on these consumers and where I'm actually going to be wanted and needed. You know, you've got a sizable company, and I'm really curious now. I mean, so many of the CEOs I talk to all want to talk about the philanthropic side and their community service of their companies. Could you tell us about yours? Well, I think for, for us, I mean, we've always part of our strategy in, in building this brand. We didn't have a lot of money to go out and you know, do a ton of billboards and advertisements. And, and so we started sampling at events. And, you know, again, when you have a mission driven company, there's an audience out there that often has events that they go to. And so we started doing things like fun runs. Obviously it's easy for a water, a beverage company to get involved and do some sampling there. But I did it not only to get, you know, the word out about my product and find more consumers, but also to, you know, lift my spirits on days when I was, you know, trying to 
hustle and and really get the product uh, going in, in some direction. And so that really has spurred into, you know, not only continuing to do events, but also, unfortunately, I, I think FEMA has our uh, phone number on, on speed dial. I mean, between all of the, you know, natural disasters that have happened, the fires in California where I live. I mean, we've, uh, we've, you know, very much uh, offered not only to first responders, but also to fire crews as they've been fighting these, you know, terrible situations. And, and so we definitely do that. And then in addition, I think that the other thing that I've been really engaged in over the last couple of years is clean water. So something I've learned a lot about is water in the last 16 years and really understanding, you know, the fact that every, every place we, we bottle in eight different locations to be as close to our distribution points as possible. And the quality of the water in various parts of the country varies significantly. And so we remove everything from the water in order to not use preservatives and add real fruit to it. But, uh, but what I've learned is that, you know, not, every filtration system that goes into people's homes actually is of the same quality as what we use. And so- Well, all we have to do is look at uh, Flint, Michigan, right? Right. Flint for me, I think, started to really connect the dots. And, you know, we've seen it in New Jersey, we've seen it, you know, all over the country. So what I started asking uh, the question uh, around to our, you know, senators and Congress, Men, men and women is it is why don't we have why isn't the EPA monitoring things when the CDC and the NIH say things like you know PFAS for example and you know Flint had a huge issue with lead they now have a huge issue with PFAS why don't we have that as a national you know standard and so just by asking those questions and, and frankly, actually showing them what the information I know on a state-by-state -state level, because again, some of that information is just stuff that, you know, those people don't focus on. It's not even a, you know, I've really tried to push on, it's not a Republican or a Democratic, you know, conversation. It is a human. And if I could solve the, the issue for clean water all over the world, I would, but I can't. You've got a family got a husband, you're running a major corporation. How do you balance those? You know, I always, uh, I'm, I'm always kind of scratching my head for the, the correct answer on balance. Cause I think that the, 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 the thing about balance really boils down to you loving what you do. And so if you love what you do every day and you know, you're raising a family and somehow you know, taking the time to show them your how engaged you are in what you're doing and how you're solving problems. I think that that is so key to having that balance. I mean, sure, I get up every morning and I go hiking and, you know, tr really try and set up my day so that I can work out and eat right and, and clear my mind and all of those things. But the number of people, and frankly, many of them are my friends or former colleagues that don't love what they do every single day. I just think it's a waste of a life. My goodness. You and I have so much in common with that. Yeah. It's just uh, not yeah, worth it. You know, to one of your posts, I said, it's all about doing what you love. And if you do what you love, it's not really work. Totally. Yeah. If you're stuck in a job, it can be drudgery, but Sometimes if you're doing what you love, it's not a job, really. It's just, it's your love. It's what you do, what you want to show up and do every day. So I run the company, which is basically runs itself. Uh, I watch the books and everybody else does what they're supposed to do, which is wonderful. And I said, when they carry me out the front door is when I'll stop having a good time because I'm having a good time doing what I'm doing. And that smile on the face tells me that you're having a good time as well. I'm having a good time. One of the people, if you don't mind me just taking a minute to say this. So, you know, that statement reminds me, you can tell your wife the story. So my, my dad ended up, I talk about my dad who had founded a product called Healthy Choice. And I always talked about him as a frustrated entrepreneur because I think he always thought about starting his own company, but didn't actually 
he feared it and he financially didn't know how to figure it out, how to go in and go get it done. But he finally retired. Um, he always thought about retiring, you know, when he was 60 ahead of like the 65 mark. And, right. and I remember when he finally retired, when he was 65, he loved playing golf and he said, I'm going to go play golf. And within like three days, he figured out something really, really key was that number one, playing golf every single day didn't make it special, right? It was like he started to really, uh, you know, realize that playing golf every day wasn't what it was cracked up to be, what he had envisioned it to be. But also not a lot of his friends were retired. And so he had no one to play with. And so he said, he kept saying until the day he passed away, he said, don't retire. Just figure out what you love doing every single day and do it. You don't have to do it full time, but you do it part time and and it's a much better strategy. So I retired once for about a year and a half. And I got to tell you, it's not something I, w- I would want to do again. I knew every park. I knew every squirrel by name. I knew every mall and every store and every mall. And it was something that was good. It was telling me that my brain was going to turn to mush if I didn't do something about it. So I had to find out what I was doing. So yeah, I'm very fortunate that I was able to do that. Finding something that not only you love, but you're learning and you're, and it satisfies your curiosity, I think is another key thing. So my life, my business life has been rather serendipitous, quite frankly. So I've been different careers, different jobs. Uh, in fact, the matter is you learn at each of those. So when you bring those to the table, you're a much fuller, more rounded human being in terms of uh, your, your, your ability to see and manage. Um, it helps. It all helps. You know, we had a company that went from zero to $5 million back in the 80s. And I ran the production side of the business. I didn't know a damn thing about production. But guess what? A year later, I knew a lot about production. I had 132 employees, all the necessary equipment and uh, to produce uh, full pay and Weber. So you learn as you go. So Kara, I got, I got two closing questions. Um, first of all, what keeps you from getting burnt out? What's relaxation look like? You know, making time for my family. And I still speak to all of them. I have three kids in, in university right now and one in high school. And I'm very proud that they still talk to me and call me every day, no matter where they are. My son is actually in, uh, just landed in Germany um, and he's 19 years old. Uh, did wasn't thrilled about his decision. Uh, he paid for it. I wasn't thrilled about his decision to go to Germany, but he, um, he is obsessed with cars. I talk about this a lot on LinkedIn, that oh. he's really passionate. Uh, he actually should become an engineer, but he doesn't want to go to school to do that. And he goes to school. He goes to uh, Tulane and he's uh, studying business, which is great. Yeah. But he really has the mind he, he, of an entrepreneur, uh, but also is really passionate about cars. So whenever I can't find him uh, in our house, I always look in the garage and he's in the garage doing something. And he's redone a few BMWs. We have way too many cars because he he fixes cars but he never sells them. So that's our, our, that's our big fight because he finds that's some the, reason. That's the addiction. The addiction. Product. So he it's decided he... he the one time I think I had five. Yeah. And he... Finally I said, you know, this is ridiculous. Greg, stop. Yeah, this is crazy. So anyway, he made a plan and then he came back and told me about the plan. He went to Germany and he set up a, a tour of the BMW and the Porsche factory. And so he's over there you know, following his passion. And, and I know, which is, which is terrific. Your son's very fortunate that he's in a position like that. Because I can remember, hell, when I was growing up, I didn't go around the block. I didn't either. I didn't either. I think celebrate your wins. Everyone's got them. They may be tough for you to dig up, right? And think about how hard maybe those were until they actually happened, right? And and look at the at those times. And if nothing else, you can always gain energy from looking at those times when you were able to be successful, that you were able to do something. And so I still have those today. Um, people always ask me, do you 
Are you always focused on the goal? No. Sometimes I, I put the goal up on a top shelf so I can see it, but I focus on how do I make progress. Every day I'm, I'm thinking about making progress. And, and again, when you have little points, little lines that you keep moving more and more and more, and you're making that progress, and you, that's when you add those things up and you'd say, I, I'm doing it. You know, it's it's happening and you can smile about it and and feel good about what you're doing. Yeah, I recall about maybe three years ago, I remember uh, being in the facility on a Sunday in the warehouse, the factory side of the business on a Sunday. Nobody else was in the building, just me. And I looked around and I said, you know what, Greg, you did this. And it's something that can never be taken away, whether it goes away tomorrow or not, doesn't matter because I got it to where it was. Not that I did it by myself, I had lots of help, but the fact of the matter is it, it got there, it's real, it's, it's something tangible. And uh, it gives you the, the drive to move forward and keep it going. And, and like I said earlier, failure is not an option. I have too many people I'm responsible for and uh, I've got to do my job so that they can still have theirs. That's right. awesome, I love it. So in closing, I always ask the guests uh, two questions. It's really a, a two-part of all same question. What's the best advice you ever got, either personal or in business? And what is the best advice you can give to somebody who's on their journey to the C-suite? Yeah, that, this is an easy one and something my dad used to say to me. And you, you mentioned this as well, something that your brother said, but what's the worst that can happen? And so often the worst is not really that bad. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's that you fail, but okay. if if you do fail, what are you going to learn along the way? And so you really start to think about it. I mean, for, for I think partly because you know, v super middle class family, lots of you know people who had to eat in my home. We had five kids. I mean, it was it was very much things decisions were made based on financials. I mean, that's the way that my dad thought about things, and so. You know, when I think about big decisions and even the way that I manage and, and share with my team, how much is that going to cost if it doesn't work out? You know, if you can afford to do that, if you lose that money and you come back, uh, you know, it, when my son buys a ticket to go to Germany, he's going to have to, there's trade-offs, right? But he felt like that was going to be worth it because it's going to help him to think and learn and all of these things, invest and, in, in, you know, his future, all of that stuff. That's when you can really, you know, make a decision to to do something or not do something. So basically, you're saying trust yourself. Mm -hmm. You're bringing something good to the table, and you should trust it. Yeah, trust it, and trust in the in the process of learning. I mean, you mentioned that too. It's yeah. like, I mean, that's how we further ourselves in life is by being yeah. learners. Kara, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm going to give you the floor now. You can tell people how to get a hold of you how to get a hold of Hint or anything else you'd like to tell them or where they can get the book. Okay. Floor is yours. Sure. So uh, Amazon is and other fine bookstores out there. Uh, it's also at a lot of libraries. I've heard from many people too, uh, that they've picked it up at the library. It's called Undaunted Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And please uh, let me know what you think. Uh, post it on social. I'm all over social on every platform at Kara Golden with an I. And I would love to hear from you and hear all about how the book hopefully helped you and inspired you in some way. So the book is an interesting story of your journey. But what I took away from it was that you have, your personality shines right through in terms of not being afraid to ask difficult questions that you didn't know the answers to and not to keep going forward. So thanks for that. We really appreciate it. Anybody who, anybody who listens to this podcast, you should go out and get a copy of that book. But before I let you go, in the book, you've got some interesting anecdotes. And one of the best that I wish you would repeat to the, to the audience is the eyeball story. Uh, funny story. So I was at America Online, and uh, I was actually asked to speak at a uh, Compaq, which is a very large computer company for those of you who aren't familiar with Compaq. Uh, and I was asked to go to Shanghai. 
And uh, I was a little detail. I was actually pregnant with my first um, child. And I somehow got on the plane, um, seven months pregnant. My poor father-in-law, who's a doctor in New York, a gastrointestinal uh, doctor, um, did not like the idea of me traveling to Shanghai, which was just kind of opening up um, its borders a bit. Um, and the water supply and food supply was maybe not as clean as, as what we saw in the U.S. Um, so uh, I brought all my own bananas and everything over with me and bottled water and all of that. But when the CEO of Compaq Asia said to me after I spoke on electronic commerce, direct-to-consumer businesses, and again, this is uh, the end of 1998, that's when um, he said, would you be my guest um, tonight at dinner? And I had to go and and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to be careful about what I eat. We had went to a restaurant that Bill Clinton had just eaten at. He had visited Shanghai. And so I thought, how bad could it be, right? It, 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 pretty great. It's a Chinese restaurant. And uh, it was when uh, we were sitting around the table, I was the only woman, um, certainly the only pregnant woman uh, who was um, speaking at this conference as well. That's when the person next to me ordered something in Mandarin, and I didn't know what he ordered. I figured, okay, um, you know, I'll see what he gets. And I turned my head, suddenly a bowl of eyeballs is in front of me. And I, uh, that's when I basically said check. I wasn't paying for the check actually, but I, I, uh, it was a lot. And people always ask me, you know, what kind of eyeballs? I have no idea, but it was a lot. I would have left too. I had to leave. It was, it, it was a lot. Well, folks, that's a wrap. Don't miss any of our upcoming episodes of Ask a CEO. You can find the video version on YouTube at Greg's Corner Office. Or you can find us, the podcast, on all the streaming services uh, that you like. Uh, don't be afraid to share it with your friends. If you like what you see, please subscribe, share, and send it out far and wide. Don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. We've got some really interesting international business people, uh, both from the U.S. and globally, uh, all different types of industries, all different types of stories. So thank you so much for listening. And we hope to see you soon. That's a wrap on another Ask a CEO interview. We hope you enjoyed the talk. We'd love to hear from you. Visit gregscorneroffice.com, click the Ask a CEO tab, search your favorite listening app or view on YouTube. Click the subscribe button. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook. Until next time, goodbye from Ask a CEO.